0: So, in the 1940s, there was an insurance uh, specialist who did some research about um, who succeeded in life and business and why those people succeeded or failed in life and business. And the quote that he said was, the common denominator of success, the secret of success of every man who's ever been successful, lies in the fact that he formed the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. The common denominator of success, the secret of success of every person who's ever been successful lies in the fact that they form the habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. In other words, there's this principle that successful people, people that that do well in life, develop priorities and principles uh, that they decide are the best principles and priorities to live by, and then they stick to those things even when it gets difficult. And that is something that kind of marks some people off from others, that some people persevere, and they, and they, and they find that, um, the power to, to succeed in life by, by focusing on those priorities. So today we're going to talk about misplaced priorities uh, in, in our spirituality, in our spiritual life. And uh, this whole book of Haggai talks about uh, God, God addressing people having you know, not the right priorities in terms of um, him and his activity in their life. Um, It's really an interesting thing with priorities. They're very slippery because, you know, with our lips, we often say, you know, I value God's kingdom, if you're a believer, uh, and what he's doing above all else in my life. That's what you'd say. And your heart, you know, resonates with that. Um, But then you look at the where your time and your focus, your energy, your finances, everything in your life goes to, and, it, and sometimes it tells a different story. So priorities are slippery. We we often say one thing and we mean it, but then how we live our life is different. And there's a disconnect. Does that make sense? This is something that really got um, <laughs> revealed to me recently. I've been meeting with the elders, and we've been talking about you know why does the church exist? what are we trying to do here as the body of Christ? Is it just to come on a Sunday morning and spend time together? Is it a social thing? Let's go to the Bible and see what that is. And the elders, looking at the Bible, we see Jesus said, go into all the earth and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. So Jesus says that what we're supposed to do is make disciples which is also a very kind of vague term for us. So then we ask the question, what is a disciple? You know, well, it's someone who is, is growing in certain areas that Jesus calls us to grow in. And those markers are actually, turns out, easier to pinpoint than our vague ideas. And uh, I'll talk to, I want to talk about our core values here. At the church. We have seven core values as a denomination. We've adopted them fully and embraced them fully as a church. These are the, the seven things that we say characterize a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. And by the way, the author of these seven core values who, who refined them and, and, and got them from scripture and put them together is John Soper, which I learned recently. I, apparently he's, he's a big deal in our denomination. You know, I didn't realize that. He was here with us in, in the fall. But he, you know, being the brilliant Bible scholar and pastor that he is and leader, you know, he went through the scriptures and he combed through and he found these seven um, values of a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. And uh, just tell me if you, I, I imagine you'll find some agreement here. Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. You could even say broken people uh, need healing. God wants to heal them uh, People that are lost in sin, Jesus wants to find them. That's, what, that's our first core value. Second core value, prayer is the primary work of God's people. And all God's people said? Yeah. Everything we have belongs to God. We are only caretakers of that stuff. Amen? Yeah. Knowing and obeying God's word, the scripture, is fundamental to all true success as a Christian and in life. Amen? Pretty good stuff. Completing the Great Commission, which is when Jesus said to make disciples, will require the mobilization of every fully devoted disciple. Amen? Not just the pastors, not just the clergy. The job is just too big. And, and as I've said in the last few weeks, you know, there's no way that even the elders at New Life can take care of the pastoral needs of the whole body uh, because we're all supposed to be a kingdom of priests for each other and um ministering God's love and grace in its many forms to each other. Um, Here's a good one. Number six, without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can accomplish nothing. Amen? Achieving God's purposes means taking faith-filled risks. This always involves change. Amen? Think about the times you've grown in your life. Often it was because you trusted God and you stepped forward into what he was calling you to do. And I'm looking out in this crowd, and I see faces that remind me of stories of when you did just that. And there was just this amazing amount of growth and advancement when you took that faith-filled risk. So these are the things we believe, when we embrace, by and large as Christians. These are very scriptural things. There's scriptures behind each of them. And it just really tells us this is what a disciple is. This is what we're trying to become and produce in our church body. So lost people matter to God. Number one, he wants them found. We all say amen to that. But then there's like six sub-questions. And it really helps you to see, like, is this really a value that I hold in my life? And this is something the elders have done together. Number one, if I believe lost people matter to God, he wants them found, I spend time on a regular basis strengthening relationships with friends who do not yet identify themselves as Christ followers. And you can kind of go one to five on that one. This is just great. It's brutal. It's so easy to say things that we believe and then not to do anything with them. I have had at least one spiritually significant conversation in the last seven days in which I shared my, my grace story of how Jesus came into my life. One to five. There's a group of pre-Christian people for whom I regularly pray. I regularly use my spiritual gifts and resources to express Christ's love for outsiders, people that aren't yet part of the church. I can name at least three unbelievers who identify me as a good friend. I think that's a good one. I have had a part in seeing someone turn towards Christ in the last six months. So these, these, these kind of refine you know, what we say and, and challenges us to say, is this really who I am? I think if, if we were honest, we'd have to say that maybe we're not a five in all of those things. Maybe there's some growth that can happen. It's easy to get your priorities messed up because the things we say we're not actually doing necessarily. Prayer is the primary work of God's people. I spend time with God in prayer on a daily basis, one to five. I pray with others in a corporate setting at least once a week. I believe that I am learning to hear the voice of God in extended times of prayer. I keep track of the answered prayer and regularly thank God for it. I pray with my spouse and my family on a regular basis. There's a balance in my prayers between adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and asking. When I went through this, I just said to God, I just need to start praying before and after everything I do. Because, <laughs> you know, this is a value that I have. But I find myself, like many people, not praying. But we, our value is that prayer is our primary work. That It's God's work, and we pray and join Him in it. Everything belongs to God. We are his caretakers, his stewards. Uh, One, I practice the discipline of regular proportional giving. One to five. My monthly spending is consistently less than my monthly income. One to five. When I see someone in need, I often find a way to respond to that need. One to five. My time, talent, and resources are available to God, and I can give recent examples of how he has chosen to use them. One to five. I'm aware of my spiritual gifts and am regularly involved in using that gift for the edification of others. I have placed myself in an accountability relationship with others who can help me steward the gifts and talents that God has entrusted me. Everything belongs to God. We are just caretakers. These questions help us to see, are we, are we doing this? Are we, are we getting there? And by the way, this is a self-evaluation. This is not me evaluating anybody. This is just a way for us to see where are we at in our discipleship process. Knowing and obeying God's word is fundamental to all true success. I spend time in God's word daily. My knowledge of the content of scripture is growing. My family can point to specific ways I am changing because of the influence of God's word upon my life. I regularly share what I learn in the Bible with others. The way in which I think and behave is being changed by the Bible. My reading of scripture is balanced between the Old and New Testaments. You can tell John Soper wrote this. And really take this to heart. You know, I know I'm just reading this page, but this is good stuff to really ask yourself. Completing the Great Commission will require the mobilization of every fully devoted disciple. In the last 30 days, I've been actively involved in the task of building the kingdom of God in my sphere of influence. Sounds like a lofty goal, but this is what the Bible calls us to. I know what my spiritual gifts are, and I regularly use them to minister to others. I ask God daily for the opportunity to share his love with others. I am involved in a Paul and Timothy relationship with others. That's, you know, a leader training another leader to become a leader. In the last seven days, I have practiced some sort of one another's of the New Testament with others in my fellowship. You know, love one another, forgive one another. These are the one another's of Scripture. Scripture. I have deliberately encouraged someone that I am mentoring in the last seven days, and I've accepted spiritual responsibility for that person, one to five. This is not for pastors. This is for every, every believer. That's what this is for. Without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can accomplish nothing. I am aware on a daily basis of the work of the Spirit in my life. I practice the discipline of self-examination and confession of sin on a daily basis. My spouse or those closest to me can give examples of me asking for and granting forgiveness in the last seven days. That's huge. (laughs) I think there's probably at least one opportunity every seven days to apologize to your spouse. I'm, I'm almost sure of that. My level of intimacy with Christ is steadily growing. I can give recent examples of the work of the Holy Spirit in or through me. The fruit of the Spirit is growing more evident in my life. One to five. Achieving God's purposes means taking faith-filled risks. This always involves change. I can point to several times in the last 30 days when I've specifically chosen to trust God. That's what we talked about last week. One to five, how are we doing with trusting God? I am becoming more aware of opportunities that God is giving to me to trust him. One to five. I can identify specific ways in which God is changing me and the world around me. One to five. I am asking God in prayer for some impossible things, one to five. I am very thankful for a prayer mentor of mine, uh, Linda Thomas, who's I don't think here today, but I love praying with Linda because she reminds me to pray for things that are just beyond what I think could be possible. God says in the scriptures, you have not because you ask not. Sometimes uh, we just, we think of things in our realm and what we can control. We pray a little bit, but we're not really trusting God for big stuff. In the last 30 days, I've shared God's answers and provisions in my life with other people by way of personal testimony. This is what God did in answer to my prayer. This is what God provided. And finally, I believe that my ability to exercise faith in the promises of God is growing. You know, God makes a lot of promises in the, in the scriptures, and many of those promises are specifically for us as followers of Jesus Christ. One to five. So, we should have a, a series called Christianity One to Five, Between 1 p.m. and 5 p.m., you know? But this is good stuff. This is the stuff of life, the stuff of priorities. And these are the things we believe are the priorities of someone who's going to be a successful follower of Jesus. This is not legalism. This is not law-keeping. It's simply looking at yourself and saying, am I growing or am I pretty much the same person I was last year, two years ago, three years ago? And again, it's those who find those priorities and stick to them, even when they don't like doing it, they tend to be successful. It's the way God created the world to work. And it works that way in our spiritual lives as well. We make all kinds of goals in our lives. Retirement goals, goals saving for college for our kids, vacation goals and dreams, um, fitness goals. I'm in the middle of that right now. Um, We don't often make spiritual goals, do we? It's weird. Why not? It's how God created us to to grow, to make goals and to set them and to move towards them. We're going to read about uh, from the prophet Haggai today. And this is just one of those scriptures where it's just pretty self-explanatory. It's a story. Uh, God had released his people from bondage in Babylon, where they had been for hundreds of years. And God had raised up a king from Persia, Cyrus, and he released God's people from captivity. I I mentioned last week that before King Cyrus released God's people from captivity, God had prophesied that a king named Cyrus would would do that very thing 160 or so years before it happened. So God had this provision uh, and he he even had a specific name and that man ended up setting them free. And he was an interesting guy. He was someone who was interested in world religions. So he was like I'm going to let these people go, and I'm going to let them rebuild their temple. Solomon's temple, which had been destroyed, which had had devastated God's people. The temple was the place, if you know anything about uh, early Judaism in the ancient Near East, the temple was the place you worshipped God. Uh, that was the place you made sacrifices for your sins. That was the place where you encountered God's presence and were mediated the presence of God. Without that temple, when it was destroyed, it, I mean, it, it really killed them, even more than the captivity, to lose that, that touch point with God. And, uh, and King Cyrus said, you're released, and you can go and rebuild your temple. Have fun. Pretty cool. So you have this big, old group of people 50,000, they think, who got released from Babylon and sent to rebuild the temple. I am just amazed at God's care for his people in those details, that God knew the name of a guy that would set them free 100 years before it happened. It's amazing. So, again, these people were devastated. They, they, they were excited about building the temple. Because they were in Babylon, they obviously could not do that. They couldn't worship freely. They couldn't, couldn't build the temple. That was a pretty legitimate problem, being in captivity. They couldn't, they couldn't do it. That makes sense. But uh, what we'll find is, just like with us, this temple building project became, as much as it was very much on their hearts and they knew it was a good thing, it became a very distant priority as they were released from captivity. And other things took root as being more important. So Haggai one. We're going to read the first chapter here, fifteen verses. A short little book. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. I practiced those names this morning. <laughs> this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built, the temple. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you, yourselves, to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Examine your priorities. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. When God says something twice, it's a good time to pay attention. Especially since he's telling us to pay attention twice. <laughs> Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build a house "'so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored,' says the Lord. "'You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. "'What you brought home I blew away. "'Why?' declares the Lord Almighty. "'Because my house, which remains in ruin, "'while each of you is busy with his own house. "'Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew "'and the earth its crops. "'I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains.' on the grain, the new wine, the new oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared they respected the Lord and his word. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the twenty-fourth day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius." There's an interesting principle in this passage that goes beyond just the normal way that the world works. When we get our spiritual priorities mixed up in our Christian faith, um, we might toil and work very hard, but many times it's not productive because our priorities are misplaced. There's things that we say we believe in, but we're not really doing anything about them. And... You know, our, our own empire, our houses, our, our life is being built up while God's worship is going down. And it's so easy to just say the right things and even believe the right things, but to actually do them. That's a whole different story. And these people, as much as their heart was in the right place, they had, be, they had actually begun rebuilding the temple. They laid its foundation. The work got hard, and they said, you know, let's work on our own stuff. And they went into the mountains and got cedar planks, they built their own houses and they uh, planted crops. They had this newfound freedom. They planted crops and, and tried to harvest, harvest some crops from the land. They did all kinds of investing and work, but none of it was on God's house, which was the, the mission. <laughs> that was the mission. That's why they were set free by God. And so, none of their toil and labor really produced anything. The blessing of God was not on their lives. And uh, I don't know, it's kind of like that, that phenomenon where just when you save some extra money, you have a car repair, you know? Just when you uh, ha- have a little money saved for a vacation, you know, the refrigerator dies. These are all stories from my own life. But there's this weird pr- principle where first things are not first with God in terms of our time, our talents, our finances, our energies, our focus, our best efforts... If first things are not first, and we're sort of not trusting in God but living for ourselves and building our kingdom, we're just not sitting under the blessing of God, you know? We may may well believe in him. We may think that these are good ideas in the Bible uh, to be a fully devoted disciple of Christ. But because it's our lips speaking, but our lives are telling a different story, how we actually live, it's not getting any traction. It's not blessed. So God says to them, change things around. You've noticed that this is not working well for you. And my house is still not built. And these people intelligently said, yes, Lord. Which is a great thing to say to God. And what does God say? He says, I am with you. You know? Get first things first. Build my temple. I am with you. I love the encouragement of this story. That there really is a way to grow and progress as a follower of Christ. There is a way. And it, it goes uh, this way. Taking our intentions and the things we actually believe and then doing actual things in the real world, not the spiritual realm, in the, in the real world that show that we believe these things. I think that that is... For me, that's very challenging, but also very encouraging. I, does anyone here like, like the feeling that they're not growing as a person? Do you enjoy that? You know, we work hard in life. Now, I, I've talked to many people in this church who are you know, frustrated in their careers. They're like, I'm just doing the same thing day after day. I'm not really growing. I lost my passion. You know, Am I even doing what I'm supposed to be doing? No one likes the feeling that they're not growing. God says, I believe through this, through this passage and many other uh, passages like it, there is a way to know you're growing. There, there are benchmarks. Um, put me first. First things first. You know, take your, your time and focus, where you spend your time, the things you drive your car to. Right? This is how we gauge what we're actually, what's actually important to us. Our time. Where's our focus during the day? Where are we focused on? What goals do we have that we've set for ourselves? Where's our best efforts and energies going? You know? Where are those things going? Where's our money going? That tells a story. You know? The things, if you look at your, uh, your credit card is really great because it has a little pie chart on it. And it tells you what a horrible spender you are. So it's like food and entertainment. It's like, you know, car repairs, you know. So they're they're even telling you, you know, even on chase.com and and on these credit card websites, very simply now, this is where your values are. This is what you value. So take a look at that. What do you value? Are any of those parts of that pie God's kingdom? If you're a believer and you believe in Jesus, I think that probably should be. That makes sense. So these are the things we can look at. Um, once the people began to build that temple, they left their paneled houses, and they left their fields, and they began to build. God's blessing just was on their life in a big way. It's a, it was a faith-filled risk. Honestly, it was a very clear word from God, and they took steps to make it happen. And as a result, God's blessing was on them. And it's, I, I think that phrase... You know, work smarter, not harder is a good phrase in the spiritual realm because <laughs> um, I don't want to work. I'd, I'd, ra- I'd rather put God first and get my priorities in line with my, with my focus, my time, my efforts, my energy, my finances. I'd rather do that and then trust God to take care of my family than put all of my energies into the other thing while feeling guilty about not doing the main thing and then still come up short which is the reality of what happens, in my opinion. So this is, this is God's word. When you do this, I am with you. Uh, let's look at what else God says in this book. You can tell your friends, we read a whole book of the Bible in church today. We are like, we got this coming out of our ears. Ready? Chapter 2. On the 21st day of the seventh month, oddly specific, the word of the Lord came through the whole prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. We get it. To Joshua, son of Jehozadak, we know who these people. We've said this many times. The high priest and to the remnant of the people ask them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory, the previous temple? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O oh, Zerubbabel. He's the king. Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Do not worry. Now that you've got your priorities where they need to be, work hard, stick to those priorities, be strong, And know that I'm with you and my blessing is upon your life. It's a pretty comforting word for these people. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations and the desired of all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Everything belongs to God. The glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. What a great promise. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine or oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, If a person defiled, is, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, and the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is... Whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this. From this day on, consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of twenty measures, there were only ten. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were only twenty. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, and you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day... When the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, though, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tells Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth, I will overturn the royal thrones. And shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Just a fascinating book uh, where God, in a very practical way, says to his people, Make first things first. Look at your time, your focus, your best efforts and energies, your finances. Look at that pie chart of your life and see how much of this is pointed in the direction of the things you say you value. You say you want to rebuild the temple when you're in captivity? I'll set you free. What do you really want to do? And God set all of us free. We're all free agents. Worship is voluntary. Following God is voluntary. It's an opportunity it's something I, I don't think that would be... It would be a tragedy to miss out on the peace of God in our lives because we just will not get our priorities straight. John Sober says it so well. He says, We live in a time when God's people have very largely fallen into the trap of having misplaced priorities. The people of Judah certainly believed that rebuilding the temple was a worthy project. They would even have testified to its importance, its vital importance. It's just that until Haggai began to preach, they had not begun to see the task as an urgent one. It's the same way with us. The problem with Judah was not one of wickedness. They weren't doing horrible things. There was no idolatry. That was all gone. They weren't engaged in heinous deeds. All they were doing was putting their own personal and family interests above the work of God, and that was the thing for which they were being rebuked. Put God's work first, Haggai shouts. If you do, you'll be very sure to receive his blessing on your life. Don't give him the leftovers of your time and your money. Give him the first part, the best part. And if you do, you will find him always ready to bless you in ways that you will not be able to anticipate. This is a beautiful message from the scripture for us today to trust God who is lovingly pushing us to this life where we can be releasing The burden of just being on the the hamster wheel of car repairs and advancement and, and putting our focus on things that are not the first things, to put those things on God's kingdom and trusting him to bless us and provide for us as we do that. So it's time to take a good hard look at our lives and to say, where are we putting our time? Where are we driving our cars? Where's our efforts and focus going? Where's our finances going? You know, where's our talent and our best energy going? Those are the things that tell the true story of what we actually believe. Not just what we say, but what we do. The worship team is going to come forward. We're going to have a time of musical worship. Um, As they come forward, uh, we're going to take the offering and then we're going to go into a time of worship. We're going to take communion together. Uh, So pray with me as we go into this time of worship. Heavenly Father, we, I lift up uh, your church. I thank you for your challenging message to us today. Thank you that we are free, that we are under no obligation to any person, uh, but you have set us free to choose, and you have put before us um, everything on the table. And uh, we, we just want to say to you with our words now and with our lives as we reflect on our, our self and our situation that you are the Lord, that your kingdom is first. Lord, I want to I pray that each person here would know that in their heart. I pray your blessing upon your people as they give, as we worship and praise, as we come to the table. We thank you for your goodness to us and your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.